Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up fans? Welcome back to episode number 88 of the Mets Up podcast presented by the Seven Line. Just wrapped up a three-game series this weekend with the Philadelphia Phillies capped off with a really nice series win on Sunday Night Baseball. You guys know the drill here. We're going to go through everything that happened. The no-hitter. Disappointing game on Saturday. The great win on Sunday. A lot to talk about here on this episode of the Mets Up podcast, so you don't want to miss out. Make sure you are following us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You'll be able to find the video version of it. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find us, you will be able to listen. Drop us a rating, drop us a review. James. We just spent a very, very long day at City Field. Uh, the longest days ever. It's like a eight-hour experience at City Field. We were there bright and early, and you guys will probably learn a little bit more about that in the future as to why. But it was a pretty good day. Fantastic day. Like I said that when we were done doing what we were doing earlier before, that it was pound for pound one of the better afternoons of my entire life. Oh, for sure. I mean, we were at City Field for what I said is a good a good sleep. A solid sleep. I can't wait to get a sleep like this after I finish editing this episode. Yeah, we're going to be working through the night to get this one out for you guys. Because, of course, anytime there's Sunday night baseball, it's going to be a late night. Mm-hmm. And then on the part of it, we were there all day. There was, there was a lot going on. And no off day. Big series of the Braves starts tomorrow. But we're here to focus on the Phillies. And we got to start off with game one. Yes. Because game one was sick. James was at the game. Oh, yeah. I was not able to go because the group of friends that (laughs) I was going with decided, let's go on Saturday instead because they had a birthday party. And Mm -hmm. I I missed history. And I don't know if I can ever forgive them for that. Truthfully, just to give you guys some backstory about our friends that you don't care about at all. Two of them had the birthday party. And one of them was at such a fun party on Saturday that I actually joined him at that he bailed on his Mets ticket. So one of the two people who forced Mark to miss the Friday night no-hitter didn't even go to a single Mets game this weekend at all. Frustrating. Yes. Frustrating because, like we said, missed history. No-hitter. Second all-time in Mets history. I saw the history. I really enjoyed the history. The history was one of the better things that I witnessed in a long time. It was a pretty good weekend to be a Mets pitcher. Yeah, great weekend. I also have a very funny personal anecdote about the first Mets no-hitter. I know my dad's listening to this. He's going to just, he's going to, he's going to, I don't even, he's going to freak out. I'm telling this, but it was June 1st, 2012, I believe, correct? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Johan, yeah. Yeah, Johan against the Cardinals. And that was a night I was going to a Sweet 16. And I was about 16 years old. And being 16 years old, I was doing a lot of experimenting with alcohol. And me and one of my buddies, we just had entire... We neither, neither of us had like ever gotten like drunk, drunk before. And yeah. So this girl who was having her Sweet 16 party, she was just the worst. She wasn't really but well-liked by the grade. It was just an excuse for a lot of young, stupid children to get very drunk. And I took it way too far. I got <laughs> hammered. I had, to, I had to be removed from the party. And <laughs> my dad never let me live down. And I made him miss the only Mets no-hitter. But... <laughs> Now we have two, and we were there together for this one. So thank you, Universe, for helping me out. You guys got to experience it yeah. together. That's that's the real no-hitter in the Shiano's 100%. eyes. 
that and one and one day in the future one Mets pitcher will probably throw a no hitter and that will even be, <laughs> be more special in my dad's eyes than this one <laughs> yeah because uh, as you guys know this was not a one pitcher event this was a team effort what a total of five pitchers were a part of this and yes. it started with Tyler McGill who was not as sharp maybe as he has been but he was still very good yeah McGill he was just very solid again it's unbelievable that in one month we've gone from a guy in McGill who like we don't know what we're gonna get we hope we get something good to him like being bad like his floor is just so remarkably high compared to other pitchers not even on this team but like across like the National League in general where he can just not have his best stuff on a cold chilly April night against one of the better lineups in the National League and just be good against them well how funny is it too like you talk about like the floor rising how about just the fact that we were talking about him in prospect reports to start the year last year and now he is a vital cog of this rotation we're probably on the one-year anniversary of the first time the Mets Up podcast mentioned Tyler McGill and he's part of a no-hitter, which is crazy. I mean, he was sharp. He was sharp for sure. He was sharp. He just, again, Tyler McGill rips his fastballs, and they work. He threw them two-thirds of the time on Friday night, and they got 37% whiffs, and they sat 95-96, again, on a chilly April night against one of the better lineups in the National League. Like, we can just trust him now. And we've been talking a lot, I've been talking a lot about Tyler McGill finding his primary secondary pitch, and this time it was his slider. He threw that pitch 22% of the times, and it got two whiffs on nine swings, which is like a fine number, but it's not great. Yeah, we'll say watching it on TV, obviously, throughout the game, early on he had a really hard time controlling it yeah. and commanding that slider. And Definitely. I think that also played into the high pitch count and why he was coming out of the game early because he was going into a lot of like three ball counts early on in this yeah, game. and there were a lot of foul balls. That's yeah. something that's been happening in Tyler McGill a lot this year. And there's a lot of new research being done around the, uh, the value of foul balls in baseball. So I'm hoping that we can do some reporting on that soon. But... That's way over my pay grade. Off of McGill having some trouble with his slider early and finding it late, he really did not throw that many changeups. Only 10 the entire evening, and he got no whiffs on it. First start all year, he got no whiffs on that changeup. And that was a pitch that I've said his last two starts that I thought was kind of pulling ahead of the slider, becoming the primary secondary. But it's a it's a cold night, and especially a, a pitch like changeup, that's, like a, that's a, a grip pitch. Like You really have to be able to hold that pitch. If it's not like moist out there at all, you got to really rub that ball up. It's hard to get a feel for it. And... Again, just the fact that he's able to work through a game where he doesn't have the feel for either of his secondary pitches against one of the better lineups in the National League and pitch five innings of scoreless baseball without allowing a hit, that's great. No, it's pretty big. And I know that like watching the game as he was getting to the fifth inning in his final inning of work, everyone was like, no hitter, but clearly he's not going the distance here because the pitch count. There's no way. And also, it just would have been malpractice because this was a close game. Like, the game was in the balance. Yeah. Tyler McGill threw his last pitch. The game was still 0-0. I don't want this guy to bust his ass for a no-hitter when, again, one, he's one of the most valuable members of this rotation. Two, like, I don't even know if he's pitching effectively enough to not allow any runs, let alone any hits <laughs> in the next 30 pitches. Like, he had to come out of the game. And there were some no-hitter murmurs around the park. And there were a couple, uh, I don't even know how to describe There were a couple unseemly fans by me like, oh, you got to leave him in. He's a no-hitter. Let him work through it. But it's like, we have to win this game. Yeah. We have to win this game. And that was the right call. And I'm happy I'm happy it was made. When do you think in the park it started to really feel like this was fifth a real inning. possibility? Fifth, fifth inning. inning. Yeah, right when he got through that fifth inning with no hits. And there was, because that's when his pitch count was sitting around 90. It seemed like he was going to be taken out because that just logically was the right baseball move. But that's when, that's when the talking about it began in the, in the stands. And to be fair, I guess it was kind of built off of the fact too, that McNeil came through in the fifth and got the Mets the Mm -hmm. lead, which also put McGill in line for the win. So Mm -hmm. as the team's starting to get a lead, start to be ahead in the game. Yes. Now the no hitter stuff's really starting to swirl. But it's also just a two run lead against the lineup with like seven guys who can hit home run at any given moment. Six guys who can hit home run at any given moment. So like good moment to pump the brakes. I like that logic prevailed rather than this chasing of history. Also, I was just really happy that McNeil got this hit in the bottom of the fifth and it did put Tyler McGill in line for the win. Oh yeah. It's just, it was great to see McGill get a win when he 
started this no hitter and he just pitched very well. Yeah, Mets didn't really get a lot of hits this game, but they got no. the timely ones again. Like even like we talked about McNeil, the Pete Alonso home run was yes. big too, which is That's nice because Pete had only been hitting singles for a yeah. bit, so that home run was nice to kind of get him off the bump a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Mets were able to do enough on the offensive side. But again, the story of game one is going to be the pitching. And mm-hmm. I don't, you probably didn't notice this because you were at the game, but mm-hmm. our boy Drew Flo yeah. got a new nickname for him. Did you see the chain he was rocking? I noticed a little bit watching condensed game back. And all the Mets chains were kind of popping in the black jerseys. It was really cool to see on TV. Yeah, no, the black jerseys look so clean. Amazing. So clean. But yeah, Drew Smith rocking the chain. We got a new nickname for him. He's officially Drew Chains. Drew Chains. Drew Chains. got me a few on. Yes. Uh, and he was absolutely disgusting. Again, because he's just kind of like one of the best relievers in this bullpen. Maybe like second best, honestly. We, we had a conversation with one of our friends at the park tonight where it's like, when is Drew Smith going to start being seriously considered for the, the eighth inning role? And I even like him more in this role that he came in, that he pitched on um, they pitched on Friday night, just pitching us in the middle of the order and getting guys out. Drew Smith pitched one and third innings in this game, and he got four strikeouts. Every single hitter that he got out, he struck out with one walk mixed in. Dude's dominant. Dude's dominant. really, really good. And work you have. Up-down. Yep, we're through an up down. That's a big thing. We always like to talk about mm-hmm. the up downs. Someone you have been very high on from the start, and it's nice to see Years. that he's you know come to fruition now. They even showed the thing on the um on the scoreboard at the game tonight that he has like some of the most vertical movement on his fastball in all of baseball. Like this guy is the quintessential modern reliever, and he can do anything. Yeah, and then Joelli backpacked off of him. Which don't look now, but Joelli's pitching well, guys. Uh, don't you don't you don't want to hear it? Nope. don't want to hear it. Joelli stunk at the beginning of the year, apparently to people but six straight scoreless outings for my boy Joelli and I will claim him I'm claiming him I'm yeah. claiming Joelli Rodriguez got a huge huge double play for us in yes. his inning Lugo came in he was fine and then I mean Diaz man it was like the sickest I've ever seen him look he's just like un- he's untouchable and like he's made what one mistake this year like one maybe maybe two like yeah. and that was the Varsho home run like yeah. otherwise he's been lights out untouchable that slider Bryce Harper does not know what to do on that slider he doesn't have a he has no clue that the Phillies hitters looked like they just wanted to go home they were done he, he was throwing the slider it felt like every single pitch and no one was even remotely close to it and by the time we got to the ninth inning here I I had gotten like very close behind home plate and like you could just like feel Diaz's like swagger on the mound like he came on that mound like I am the best pitcher in baseball no one's gonna get close to hitting me well I mean I thought I was even shocked after the no hitter happened that Diaz was doing a post-game interview on the field and he was speaking English without a translator which we know he can speak English like we've yeah. seen it done but usually he has like the translator around or it's not right after the game like mm-hmm. it was and he was like pumped he was excited he was happy to be part of history on the way home I listened to the radio too and he talked because they had all five guys and James McCann on the press conference table together and he was talking in that too yeah so I mean I think that's a little bit of confidence too because like a lot of times with the Latin players like they know how to speak English most of them but you don't want to be misquoted you don't want to be taken out of context because of course there still is that language barrier intimidating yeah it's intimidating for sure and uh, it was really cool to see him speaking English in the press conference after the no hitter the five guys were absolutely lights out untouchable unhittable you could say and that was a really nice way to start the series now I want to talk to you about the no-hitter because we have a Johan Santana no-hitter, which is uh-huh. a singular pitcher, and then we had a team no-hitter. Mm-hmm. Does the fact that it's a team no-hitter take away any of the shine? I mean, what's, how do you feel about it? Because I have a take. I, I think it takes away some of the shine while still being interesting. When it happened, I took a video on my phone of the last strike, and I posted on Twitter. I said the Mets threw a no-hitter, kind of. And I actually got a lot of flack in my replies. People were like, well, kind of. I got a lot of either flack or... Or I got a lot of people who were like, you didn't go too far enough. Like me picking the middle ground, every single person was mad at me. Someone was like, they gave up no hits. It was a no hitter. I got like four or five comments like that. And a couple people were like, 
why it's not even kind of no there's bullshit there was no there's no no header when it's five pitchers but it's like there is a middle ground there like it's something in between it is still impressive that a group of pitchers can allow no hits for a major league team in nine inning game like that's not like the rarest thing in the world but i'm also not going to tell you it's not cool or impressive but i also will not believe any fan who says this feels the same as a single pitcher doing this oh i'm so glad this is not the first mets no hitter yeah. i'm so glad like Thank if that God. was the way we got our first ever no hitter i would have been less excited yeah i would have that would have been like second no hitter great yeah second no hitter cool uh i mean it's nice i was really more concerned with winning that game like when diaz came in i'm like dude i don't even care about the no hitter man let's just win we gotta win this game i do not care if the no hitter stands or not that's an added bonus and that was the same sentiment with tyler mcgill leaving the game like i didn't care at all he had pitched five innings and get him no hits i cared more that he had three walks and only five strikeouts and i was like this is a dangerous lineup we need we need pitchers in the game we're ready to get outs and this is also like a classic no hitter if this wasn't the mets i don't care yeah, no, of course. I mean, you, I don't care about other teams committing no-hitters. No. I was there. Yeah, you were there. You saw history. It's it's a cool little piece of Mets history that you were a part of there. Yeah, these guys are all going to have their own little corner of Mets history forever. They're all in the lore. Yeah, cool. saw, saw James McCann requested home plate, which is Swagger. a crazy move. Baller move. Got to dig up home plate and give it to the guy. They have to get a new one and put it in. I'm convinced. With, with a game the next day. Yeah, I'm convinced that they just like found a, a spare home plate. And like, here they go, like, rub some dirt on Back it. Plate. Yeah, rub some dirt on it. Here you go, James. Thank you can't James. tell the difference. You don't remember yeah. what the plate looks That'd like. It'd be really funny if you like made a marking on the corner or something just to see if they did that. Second ever no hitter that James McCann has caught. Lucas Giolito's out in Chicago, and now that's, this one. That stuff was really cool. Yeah, and Giolito always gave McCann huge praise for how he calls a game and his catching prowess. So uh, definitely awesome. Moving on to game two here. Not a lot here. It was, as you put in the notes, a poop fest. <laughs> Major poop fest. I had to say that because that, that made me giggle a little <laughs> if you're watching the video version of this. I gave a little smirk. This was the game I was at, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, the cool thing, I guess, was that the place was buzzing from first pitch. Everyone was, I mean, hype after a no-hitter, as you should be, playing you know, rivals in Philadelphia for a first-place team who's been playing really well. Mm-hmm. The energy was there, and Taiwan was making his second start of the year, first one in City Field, and for the most part, he looked pretty good. No, he looked totally fine. Like He's definitely not a world-beater. We know that last year. Like I think... Taiwan Walker pitched so well in his first 10 Mets starts. I kind of gave some Mets fans unfair expectations of the pitcher he actually was, but he was solid. The fact he was able to throw five innings, get, get up to 73 pitches, and his first start off the IL after going on the IL with a shoulder issue, that's fantastic. Sure, he only got one strikeout, gave up two walks and two hits. But you know what? Two walks and two hits in five innings, you know what that is? It's a whip under one. That's a whip under one. I, I'm a sucker for a good whip. That's all you got. And Taiwan, we talked a lot about his pitch mix last year. The fact that early in the season, he was throwing lots of two-seamers that were perceived as sinkers. And now, late in the year, he moved on to four-seam fastballs. So this was a very four-seam heavy pitch mix for him as well, with a lot of sliders mixed in. And he has 24% whiff rate, so there could be some more strikeouts that are coming on after this. I don't know if you saw anything in the park be between pitches being fouled off or tough at-bats, but... I mean, this is his second start, weirdly, that he's made against the Phillies. Yeah. His two starts have been against Philadelphia. And, and that he's, start, was, it was strikeout heavy. Yeah, so he's like been relatively successful, which makes me think that the Mets kind of have a plan for the Philadelphia hitters and may have figured out a weak point in their lineup or whatever it is, how you attack these guys. Because yeah. for Taiwan, especially, like, again, coming off this injury second start of the year but really like the first one because he went an inning or two innings whatever it was the first time I was impressed it just stinks that we kind of had nothing behind it no yeah and one thing about Taiwan that he will get and he happy he got in this game was he got six ground balls out of I think there were 14 in play so yeah that's a pretty good spot to say he's just he's, he's rotation oatmeal yeah he's rotation oatmeal and we just couldn't hit this no. really like the story of this game as opposed to game one or game three is that we had the opportunities 
did not get the big hits. We couldn't get a hit off Kyle Gibson. We got two big hits. Yeah, this but game, still. It was just like none. Yeah, no, there was none. We had first and second, second and third, bases loaded, multiple different innings, and we just either grounded out to second, struck out, popped out. Like, they just couldn't find the hits to fall, and that's going to happen. And it's very frustrating when that happens against a pitcher like Kyle Gibson, who's just throwing, like, 60% sinkers out there, getting ground balls to bad defenders, and plays are being made. Like, yeah. That's frustrating. Jerry's Familia came out, too, in City Field, got booed heavy. Really? I did not boo Jerry's. Yeah, I don't know when you reason you would i think there's a group of mets fans that like to remember familia at his worst yeah as a pitcher they really like to i think throw blame for the world series at him which i think is just foolish like yeah he got two blown saves but if you remember watching those games like the ball went into play and we couldn't make basic plays mm-hmm. so it really wasn't his fault and well one time the ball didn't go into play okay that's fair yeah <laughs> that, was, that ball was not, <laughs> that in, ball play. Was not in play all right but anyway <laughs> regardless of that he was so good for us i can't yeah. boo the guy of course, he was great. He, yeah, of course. He, and he loved being a Met. Like, I appreciate any player who really likes being a Met and who acknowledges that fact. So, I support Yaris Familia. Yeah. I, I'd want to crush him, but I'm not going to boo the guy. No, absolutely No reason not. for that. Absolutely not. Trevor May came in. He was okay. Yeah. Trevor May threw 12 pitches in this game. Ten of them were fastballs, and there were a lot of loud outs made. A lot of loud outs. A lot of warning track. A little, uh, make me make me get in my scene go, ooh, yeah. no, 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 no. Please, no, no. Um, And then, Adovino came in and just gave up the home run to Schwarber, which... Kyle Schwarber remembered how to hit this series. Yeah. He saw it in game three as well. Strong man. He's a strong dude. He's going to hit home runs. He owns the Mets. There's no way around it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're still just allergic to sweeps. So he had to lose one of these games. Yeah. So lose some dink and dunk game against Kyle Gibson. One home run. Also, Hoskins' home runs. Like, it's a game you lost. Come out you, game you, three. You really deserve to win it. No. Yeah. Come out game three. Start swinging. And that's basically what they did. Sunday night baseball, like we mentioned. Game three. Max Scherzer on the mound. It's always going to be exciting. And from first pitch, again. The place was buzzing. Scherzer awesome. was striking everybody out, and on every strikeout, you got that, yeah, that, ah, that, that crowd, the roar, and I, I was, we were feeling it in the stands. Well, there was a moment when this game began, and Scherzer struck out the first five batters where you kind of were like, something special might be happening tonight. I thought for a second that we could be getting into another no-hitter territory. <laughs> the way you strike out five in a row, yeah. and the Phillies' first five are Solid. some of the best first five in all of baseball mm-hmm. offensively. You're, you got to be feeling yourself a little bit. Now, granted, watching it back, he definitely got a few calls here and there sure. on the outside of the corner. But, hey, you need those two with no hitters. Oh, yeah. Which we also didn't mention the great Brandon Nimmo catch, by the way. I just saved the no hitter. But we'll mention it right now. I, Brandon Nimmo made a great catch in the no hitter. There you go. I forgot to mention it. Me too. <laughs> but, anyway, back to Scherzer. You need to get some calls here and there. He got some calls, and he was getting swings and misses. The boys made a, sh- a bet for 10, plus, 10 or more strikeouts. Five through the first five batters, we were feeling great. He my money. Slowed down a little bit, but he was yeah. still pretty solid outside of the like two mistakes he made. Scherzer hilariously got the strikeouts in bunches because he got the five in a row to start. Then he didn't strike anybody out for basically three full innings. Then he ended with another flurry of strikeouts. He was just like, this is just this iteration of Max Scherzer where he's still very dominant, but left-handed hitters when they're not really seeing that slider, are going to be able to hit home runs off him. His final line was six innings, five hits, four earned, all via the home run, nine strikeouts, and an ungodly 22 whiffs on the net. Yeah, it's disgusting. In- 22 incredible. swings and misses is insane. Yours, yours getting killed by the long ball. Schwarber had the two. Bryce Harper had one. The Harper one was loud. The first Schwarber one got out in a hurry. And the yeah. second Schwarber one was just ridiculous. He went on one fucking knee. And he hit it 105 miles an hour. Like, how do you... It's just a strong human being. Very strong human being. The one storyline I do want to call everybody's attention, something to keep note of as Scherzer keeps moving through the season, is the fact that two of those three home runs tonight were on two strike pitches. And Max allowed another two-strike home run earlier in the year to Josh Bell. And we had mentioned briefly the fact that 
Scherzer is definitely aware that he's on one of his big roles on this team early is eating innings. Yeah. At least until Jacob DeGrom is able to come back. And the Harper two strike pitch that was hit out was a cutter that was supposed to be inside and just backed up and got a lot of plate. The Schwarber one was that was a changeup in a good spot. Again, yeah. he went on one knee to hit. And the Josh Bell one, just to, just to do a callback, was a fastball that neither was set up high outside the zone that he just threw right down the middle. Yeah. So I don't think it's a fact that he's necessarily being too careful and necessarily pitching in too much contact. It's just the fact that these left-handed hitters are going to be able to just sit on the pitches with medium velocity against Scherzer and not be worried about the crazy slider. That's and, just who he is. Yeah, I was about to say, to be fair, Scherzer's entire career, he's given up the long ball. Yes. Like Verlander, too. Like A lot of these guys who have been the dominant pitchers can get away with it because no one else gets on base, which, yeah. again, Scherzer, did he walk anybody tonight? I don't Maybe one. Maybe one guy. Like yeah. That's why he's so effective. People just don't really get on base against him. So when they do hit the long ball, it's like a one-run, a solo shot. And that's why... You can hit three home runs against Max Scherzer, and he still puts his team in a very good chance to win the game, especially when all of the bats are clutch as hell like they were on Sunday night. Like what? Everybody except Tomas Nito had a hit? I yep. mean, the lineup was clicking top to bottom. Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil. We saw a little bit of a new iteration of the lineup as yes. well, which well, this is something we've been talking about a lot. Not that Starling Marte, like, not that I take Starling Marte's slow start into account with this, but just the way that the Mets lineup is, like, there are better hitters than Starling Marte in it. Guys who get on base at a higher clip than Starling Marte. Guys who take more pitches. Guys who draw more walks. Guys who put the ball in play a little bit more consistently. And seeing that Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo at the top, like it was just cranking. There were no easy at-bats ever for the Philly pitchers when the top of the order came up. And you kind of get a different look, too, with all these guys, too. Like, Brandon Nimmo, typically very patient. Yeah. We'll see a lot of pitches. Francisco Lindor, kind of in between. He'll be aggressive, yeah. but he's also been walking at a really high rate. Jeff McNeil will swing at... You, you throw him a first-pitch strike, he's swinging. 100%. And then Pete Alonso's got the power with the patience. So, mm-hmm. like, that is a really nice, balanced top four that I really do hope Buck and the Mets continue to run out there every single game as long as it does make sense. Because it's really... I mean, we saw it tonight. 10 runs. It seems like that's a really good way to generate some offense. Another good way to generate offense is some guys not being in the lineup. That's also true, yeah. I <laughs> not mean, being in the middle of the lineup when there's no chance to get a hit. Yeah, uh, we definitely did not have an automatic out in the lineup hitting sixth today. No. Instead, the guy who was hitting sixth had a huge game, and that's Dom Smith, which, please, please, Mets, Buck, whatever you're doing, if you're listening to this, don't send down Dom. The choice is easy. It's got to be Robinson Cano. I don't think that's Buck's choice. It's probably not Buck's choice. It's certainly honestly. not Buck's yeah, choice. It's twenty million dollars. That's <laughs> it's we, not Buck's choice. we know whose choice it really is at the end of the day. It's just Dom. I know, like tonight, we're seeing everything with like what rose-colored glasses. I think is yeah. the saying right because he did go four for four. Four for four. Five at bats, maybe a walk. No, I don't think he got the fifth at bat. Okay, he yeah. was on deck. Yes, he was on deck, but he got four hits today. He was incredibly clutch, too. Awesome. Like, they were big, big hits. But that's the, Dom, that's the Dom we've been waiting for. He's been struggling all year. Maybe this was a little bit of the wake-up call because at the time that you guys are listening to this, you will will know what happened, who oh, got boy. sent down or who got cut. But this is the last game before the rosters get shrunk, uh, shrunk down, and Dom was definitely a guy who could be sent down. I think he was definitely aware of it. I do want to shout out Buck for something he did that I think seemingly got Dom going was there were two at-bats for Dom Smith where Eduardo Escobar got on base before him. I think there was an infield single and then a straight-up single. And both times, Dom ended up working the count to three and two, and there was less than two outs. And both times, they sent Escobar. And both times, Dom found a hole. Once down the line for what turned out to be a ribby double and another seeing a single. And both times, Dom Smith, it seemed like, was more motivated to put the ball in play and make something happen. Whether I don't even know. Motivation probably isn't the right word there. But it's just 
there was baseball happening. There was movement going on. And Dom Smith just seemed, he seemed very locked into this game tonight. Yeah, which is nice because I really hope that's what keeps him up on the roster. And again, you guys will know when you're listening to this, you will definitely probably have a pretty good idea as to who gets sent down, who gets cut, whatever it's going to be. There's going to be one hitter. It, it seems like Dom could have been a possibility. Maybe this game helped him out. I sure hope so. Same with Guillaume as the two guys who have options. And Guillaume had a great game. His, he had two hard-hit balls tonight. I don't remember any time Luis Guillaume's had two hard-hit balls in a game. Loud double. Loud double. Almost got out. 408. He hit it literally to the deepest part of the park. Hit the bottom of the wall. Aduba Herrera is just such a god-awful baseball player yeah. that he didn't even come close to and trying to catch that. It was just... And we were pumped. We were pumped for Guillaume. King yes. Louie, as we say, he's our boy. We've been talking hype about him since we've started this podcast. Like from the first episode. Literally. And it's so nice to see that one when he's getting the playing time. He's doing exactly what we expected. Mm-hmm. A couple hits here and there. Playing great. Sec- His glove great. is so good at second base. Turned a great double play in this game. Huge double play with Lindor where it was like it could have been a, a tough one. And yeah. that's like no shade to McNeil or even Cano. Like no. Cano's like fine with the glove. Yeah, and but, so is McNeil. Yeah, but Lu- Luis Guillorme at second base, like you're talking about if you played like a full season, he probably could be in a gold glove conversation. No, he's probably pound for pound. We watch him more, so it's of course biased. But you guys listening to this because you want to hear some Mets bias. I don't know how many middle infield defense are that much better than him. He's no. probably in the top 15 in the whole league. I don't know what other podcasts will talk about Luis Guillermo <laughs> as much as us either. We love that guy. King Louie. King Louie. He was great. That was a huge double. Got us some runs. Jeff McNeil, too. Jeff yes. McNeil had another great game. We had two guys two with doubles. four hits today. Yeah, two guys. Two doubles. Two doubles, four hits. He's so friggin' back. We've said it, I feel like, every episode since the season started, but this dude is so back, and I'm so, so glad they did not decide to trade him because he makes this offense different. It's more, it's more like so happy that no team met the Mets' asking price for him rather than no, the Mets didn't decide to That's trade fine. him. Yeah, they definitely, They definitely tried to trade him. But again, just happy to see him at the top of the order, making tons of contact, swinging at good pitches, and smiling. Yep. And the game was relatively back and forth Yeah. up until the big moment where the rat fuck, Jose Alvarado, comes into the game. And we broke it wide open. It started off with what the pass ball that was. He crossed up Real Muto, smacked him right. It was right down the middle. It was a pitch right down the middle, and he just got crossed up. Yeah. Went past him. I think Lindor scored, scored yes, on the Lindor pass ball, which got us the lead. And then we just keep it adding to it. I was frustrated during that at bat because Jose Alvarado is a guy who's not really known for his command. And he was coming in the game cold with the bases loaded. Yeah. And we were both talking like, Eduardo Escobar has to see a pitch. You have to see a pitch. You have to see a pitch. You can't swing this pitch. And the first pitch in the dirt, Eduardo Escobar swings right through it. <laughs> I was like, all right, whatever. But then, of course, next pitch uh, crossed him up and then kept moving on from there. Also, I loved in this game, this was the second time it happened, that on both of Schwarber's home runs in the second and the, that was the fourth inning, fifth inning? Fourth inning. Second and the fourth inning. So it was actually, this Alvarado inning was the inning after that, but still the same, same sentiment here. The Mets responded immediately. Oh, that's nice. That's big. The team. That's big. Especially a guy like Max Scherzer, who they, the Mets are very aware is picking them up more often than not. To pick him up for those two mistakes... That's incredible. That oh, it's shows huge. a lot of resilience from this roster. Oh, absolutely huge. And you talk about that inning against Alvarado too. Dom Smith, we know, has some history with the rat fuck, as we say. That's why that's why he got the nickname. Yeah, that's how it was coined. Literally he, he was our first rat fuck. He was our first rat fuck. A lot a lot of F bombs dropping today. Only a few. <laughs> Only a few. He's a rat fuck. That's what he is. But Dom Smith breaks it open. Line drive up the middle. Lefty lefty. Lefty lefty. Two runs scored, right? Yes. And the Mets, that's when they really started to break this game open here, which was nice, and it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game here, which was the Mets just kind of took over offensively and yeah. were able to coast on to a victory at the end. Timely hitting, good defense, good pitching. And that was the big difference between the Mets and the Phillies in general this series, I'd say. The Phillies bullpen, we got into it, and they weren't that good. And the Phillies defense gave us tons and tons of opportunities to make things happen. We were talking about at the game, the Phillies play bad baseball. Bad baseball. And it's not necessarily that they're a bad baseball team, 
because they obviously have good players. But this is what happens when your team is really so top-heavy, and they all kind of do the same thing, which is just mash. Kyle Schwarber could have caught one of the balls in left field from Jeff McNeil. Yeah, some turned out to be a double. Would have been a routine play for even a league average defender. Nick Castellanos, I don't know where he's playing in right field, but he's seemingly never in the right spot. Gene Segura booted that ground ball. It opened up a mess rally late on Lindor. Odubel Herrera can't play center field. Alec Bohm missed a big double play that would have gotten them out of an inning. And Bryce Harper still can't throw. He's on the bench when he's probably their best outfield defender. There's a lot of of bad baseball that goes on in Philadelphia, and I think that is the big difference between these two teams. I mean, they obviously have like a really good offense, but... You watch these two teams play, and the reason the Mets were able to get that win in that no-hit game, they play clean baseball. One of the reasons they were able to get this win over the Phillies, who did get some offense today, was because of clean baseball, timely hitting. Like, they just are a better baseball team in the way that they play. You can make that argument whatever you want to do on paper, but on the field, the Mets definitely outperformed the Phillies. And another big fact, I'll say it again, is that the Mets' bullpen is deeper than the Phillies. This Phillies' bullpen, while relatively better than all the Phillies' bullpens we've seen in this generation, is still objectively not very good. And the fact that the Mets got to them almost every single game, like that shows something. The only time the Phillies did get to the Mets was off of our relievers, our like our basically our C team relievers on Saturday between Adam Adovino and Sean Reed Foley. Also shout out Sean Reed Foley going under the knife for UCL. That stinks. But yeah. gonna get a full year of major league pay. If there's a if there's a positive, I guess. Yeah, I know that's not that bad. But yeah, I mean we also have to talk about in this game too. Got, got a little little hit by pitch again. A little chippy. Christopher Sanchez, left-handed pitcher, 3-1 count to Francisco Lindor, drills him in the knee with a fastball, and I don't know if it was on purpose, but I definitely am confident enough to say that they were coming in, and they said, if we hit him, we hit him, it's 3-1. For sure. It was a fastball 94. I mean, it didn't look like it missed, it didn't look like it slipped, it didn't look like he held it too long, it looked like this was meant to be in, oops, it hit you in the knee, and of course, everyone in the stands and the New York Mets took a little bit of a... Took a little bit of notice of it. The stands got hot when this happened. Really, really hot. People were vivacious. People. Level. And it built up to the next inning for the folk hero, Yoan Lopez, back because of the Sean Reed Foley injury. And he's coming already into the— Already back down. Yeah, already back down now that we're Legend. recording this. Two, two appearances. <laughs> two hit-by-pitches. Two hit-by-pitches. He comes in, and Schwarber's the first batter. No, Schwarber's second batter. Real oh, yeah. Muto's oh, the first batter. That's right. Yeah, he got Real Muto. He got Real Muto. That was the big one. That he was the big it. one. And then Schwarber comes up, who had the two home runs on the game. We had people in our stands. Chanting. Hit him. They were screaming, hit him. Hit him. him. Wasn't and a was, part of that. Yeah, no, was, that's not cool. I was like, let's not, let's not do that. Don't but, rub their faces in. Yeah, really, please. And uh, threw one at his toes. Backed him off the plate a little bit. Second pitch. Inside, hit the backstop. Yep. Warnings were given. <laughs> Warnings were given. Jerry Meals escalated it for absolutely no reason. Yeah, Buck on the top step made his face. As he does, the scowl, the buck scowl, and Yoan Lopez continues to boost up his Mets lore in history because it's just like this guy comes in and only throws at people. And he hit Alec Bohm, who came up right after Schwarber on what I believe was a two strike. It was two strikes, and it looked like he hit him with a changeup. It was eighty-seven. Yeah, I don't right think it was on back. purpose. I really don't. I think it might have been. I think that they wanted to hit somebody, and I think that now you're going to see a team like the Mets kind of get smarter with the on purpose thing. Like what looks like it's not on purpose, a two strike changeup, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Possibly. 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 My, maybe. And then uh, Johan Camargo did hit a nuke right after Crushed that. Him, yeah. But that was it. That was it. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Johan Lopez got the final outs. Oh, no. We won by four instead of six. Oh, no. What would we do? The run differential. Oh, my God. Two of three from the Phillies again. Oh. Our seventh straight series. The Mets tied for the best, or not tied for the best record, but tied among. For the, tied for the most wins in baseball. Yes, with uh, crosstown rivals, the New York Yankees. It's a pretty good time to be a New York sports fan, by the way. Pretty good time to be a New York sports fan. Great NFL draft over the weekend for both the Jets and the Giants. I want to shout that out too. Two Buckeyes coming to, I want to say the Big Apple, but really it's New Jersey. 
So yeah, and uh, Brett Beatty's childhood friend and middle school receiver Garrett Wilson. Maybe some potential for some cross promotion one day. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. End of it all though. Mets are the better team. They show they're the better team. They beat the Phillies kind of. I don't want to say easily, but it it felt easy. There wasn't a lot of stress. Handedly. Handedly. Game two was like the stressful game, but even then, like they, they played better than us that game. I think there's no way about it. Kyle Schwarber, who's a premier hitter in baseball, just hit a home run off of our fifth best reliever. Yeah. And it's going to happen. Literally, since the start of the season, what do we say about the Phillies? We're just going to beat them like 10 6 sometimes. Like, yeah. It's just going to happen. That's exactly what happened exactly tonight. Exactly what happened. Literally. So it was a great end to a very strong series by the New York Mets. History was made, as well as another series victory, the seventh straight. And second game that Mark and I have gone to together this year, and both times the boys went to a game together, the Mets scored exactly to have 10 runs. That's big. That's Massive. big. Mets, if you're listening to this, if you just if you need us there, whenever you need us, 10 runs is guaranteed, apparently, when the boys are together sitting with each other. You think they listen to this? They, they might. They might they listen might to be. this. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We might. They might listen to this. I don't know. Now, before we officially, officially wrap up the Philly series, actually, the Philly series is wrapped up, but yeah. James, I know, did some deep dives here on some stuff that was being talked about on Twitter today, which I is... I call it a deep dive. I call it a medium dive. <laughs> I didn't have enough time for a deep dive. It's, it's, it's almost 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's one seventeen at the time we're recording. So you have to get back to Brooklyn. Yeah, and edit. <laughs> and edit. Oh my goodness, I don't feel bad. For, well, I do feel bad for you, actually. That's, yeah, well, I'm not jealous. That. I'm not jealous of you. What a jerk. Yeah, what an <laughs> asshole. Uh, but go ahead. Give me your numbers. Give me your stats, because hard hit rate was talked about today. Yeah, basically, Mike Petriello, who... Is one of the better people, I'd say, in baseball media. And I believe a Mets fan. Mets fan. Mets uh, fan. I don't know if he's like a public Mets fan, but yeah, he definitely he seems definitely, to like the Mets. Yeah, he's definitely from the Tri-State area in general and lives in New York. But he tweeted out the fact that the Mets were dead last in baseball and hard hit rate entering the day on Sunday. And I think anybody who watches the Mets would say, yeah, while the offense is good, they're not really hitting the ball particularly hard very often. Especially this week, the Mets had a slew of games where they would finish out with less than five hard hit balls. Happened, happened on Friday. Happened on, I believe, Wednesday. No, not Wednesday. Happened on Tuesday. Happened on Monday. It could have happened no time this weekend. Didn't check. Don't remember. And we hit one home run this weekend, I think, as well. Yeah. And so. that, yeah, the, not many home runs in the city field this year in general. I think that number is eight or nine right now. Nine, on yeah. On the Apple in left field. But hard hit rate, I do just want to say, is a bit of a flawed statistic, even as much as it's quoted and cited on Twitter and elsewhere. It only takes into account your balls in play rather than every time you go to the plate. So theoretically, strikeouts kind of help your hard hit rate at the end of the day which is something that doesn't really make that much sense logically and probably wouldn't make wouldn't make you think a certain baseball player is better than another baseball player alexander chase one of my fellow writers from pitcher list he does great work big day the guy he has worked on kind of figuring out how to make hard hit rate a better statistic over the last i want to say a few years he wrote a few pieces about it his best one coming this past winter i want to say about january and he came up with a stat that he's calling hard contact rate it takes all of your hard contact and divides it by your plate appearances rather than your balls in play. And while the Mets are still last in hard hit rate, they're not last in hard contact rate. They're 25th. Not that good still. Yes. Certainly not that good. Still not that high. Not that high. Not that high. But it's not last. And just with that, the Mets this season are striking out the second lowest percentage in all of baseball behind another bad offensive team, the Kansas City Royals. But yeah. those Kansas City Royals teams are still dead last in the hard contact metric. But I just want to point this out to Mets fans because I think this new style of Mets baseball, something we've talked about a few times, something that the team built, I think, conscientiously, or consciously? Conscientiously. Something they built conscientiously, the fact that they want to just be able to put the ball in play more often. You're not getting the ball out of City Field very often. It's one of the hardest places to hit in all of baseball in terms of park factor. So that's not really something you could lean into as a team, something like the Phillies did, where they get a bunch of boppers, but they play 
81 games in a little league ballpark so that's very easy you can lean into something like that and this is how you see games that happen for the Mets both on Saturday and Sunday where there's guys on base there's chances and on Saturday balls find gloves defense makes plays you don't get the hits but then on Sunday a couple balls drop a ball finds a hole you make some things happen you get hits that's the difference between zero run one run and ten it's really not that much when you look at the margins of the game but this Mets team is just going to have a lot of variance in their daily offensive output because they simply don't hit the ball hard enough to really be guaranteeing themselves the types of hits that score runs more frequently, whether they be extra bases or over the wall. So this is just something I think everyone should keep an eye out for. And also, I'm just saying this because I'm alluding to the fact that there's going to be some kind of a slump. Yeah. The fact that this Mets team scores most of their runs via the single, it just it's you're based the way baseball works. Sometimes you're going to get lucky. Sometimes you're going to get unlucky. We're bound to go through some kind of offensive drought. But... Let's have some fun while we're while we're here. It's kind of funny that us and the Yankees are at the top of the you yeah. know record for each league in Major League Baseball because we kind of play a completely opposite game at the offensive side than yeah. the Yankees. They're very much live and die by the home run, and they hit the ball incredibly hard on a regular basis. I mean, yeah, they have some just crazy strong guys on that team anyway. <laughs> They're monsters over there, but like it's like some of the softball teams we see out there. Yeah, oh my god, we got wrecked in softball this weekend. It was bad, <laughs> but we, you guys don't need to hear about that anymore. We, we played great. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just played two polar opposite ways offensively, and I feel like. This is something that every Met fan can relate to in the past. I mean, I've, I haven't put out one what is risk tweet this year. I haven't no. talked about the struggles with runners in scoring position. So, yes, while we might not have the hard hits, we might not have the hard contact like some of the other teams, we are getting the timely hits. And like For you sure. said, that can lead to slumps yeah. because it's lucky. It, it's lucky in a sense. Like, there's just more variance when you're hitting singles more consistently than other types of base hits. And that's just because the Mets are not putting balls in play especially hard. But you know what the Mets are doing better than a team like the Yankees? Is playing defense. Yep. The Mets are putting out a lot of lineups that are, I'd say, more defensively defensive forward. Luis Guillorme has been playing a lot of games. Luis Guillorme doesn't hit that many balls hard. He had two on Sunday, and that was great to see. But that's not that's not as bad. That's not Luis Guillorme's forte. And nor does it have to be for him to be a very, very useful baseball player and a guy who should be in the lineup more days than he isn't. There's just a lot of ways to skin a cat to get a little morbid for a second. And just, that's... This is just the way the Mets are playing, and just everyone be ready for the variance. But again, let's enjoy the ride. Oh, enjoy the ride because it was a great first month of Mets mm-hmm. baseball. I'm counting today's game as still the first month of yeah. Mets baseball. The second month may officially starts in this next series. Big one Big going one. up against the Atlanta Braves. We have got four games, including a doubleheader. Yep. And this, while they aren't playing great baseball right now, we know that you got to go win this division through the Atlanta Braves, World Series champions back in 2021. And they just got a certain someone named Ronald Acuna back in the yeah. lineup who is one of the five best players in baseball. I, I'm mad at myself for not realizing that Ronald Acuna's timeline was always this like May 1st date, completely just forgetting the fact that the Mets' first series with the Braves was starting on May 2nd. Like This was always the plan. The Braves are a very smart organization. They are one of the teams who I'd say know what they are doing. And they were like, Ronald Acuna does not have to play the first month of the year, but once we go to the Queens... He's going to be in the lineup, and he is. He's swinging the bat pretty well, too. I mean, he's one of the best players in baseball. Yeah, he's so incredibly talented. And this is a little bit of a slightly new-look Braves team just because we don't have Freddie Freeman there now. We have Matt Olson playing first base, who, if you guys aren't caught up on Matt Olson because he played in Oakland, he's sick. very, very good player. Incredible. You can make the argument he's going to fill in for Freddie Freeman very nicely, if not better, at some point. Admirably. They still have Ozzy Albies, who's not really hitting well right now. We all know how dangerous Albies can be. It's him for power this year. That's the difference. Yeah. um, Eddie Rosario's on the 
IL, World Series hero, who's really just not that good baseball player at the end of the day. We're not going to see him. Austin Riley at third. Really good baseball player. We got like, piss out of the ball. Big Travis behind the plate, which will be super interesting to see this series because the Mets have been running a lot more. Yeah, and as we know, I'm Travis sure Darno is incapable of throwing anyone mm-hmm. out. So I would imagine the Mets are really going to push the envelope here when he's behind the plate. And running up, running on teams is often has more about the pitcher than about the catcher, but it doesn't help that Travis Darno has a ling- piece of linguini attached to his right shoulder. <laughs> oh my God, piece of linguini. I wasn't ready for that. Ozuna's back as well. Dude's a professional hitter. It's yeah. really good. This team's good still. Their the record doesn't show it, but the reasoning behind that really isn't lack there of offense. The pitching's been a little bit shaky. The pitching hasn't been that crisp this year. They haven't really hit the ball very well either. They've just kind of... It's a World Series hangover. It's going to happen. They played for a month longer than most teams in baseball. That's just... That changes your rest levels a little bit. It changes your fatigue levels. That shit builds. Like, that's what happened. What are our pitching matchups this uh, series? Some big pitching matchups. A lot of the pitching matchups I like. The first one, Monday night, is a battle of two real professionals. Chris Bassett versus Max Fried in a game that... Every single guy over the age of 40 years old is going to love to watch. I don't want to say crafty because I think that like kind of undersells how good of pitchers both of them are. Like I feel like when you hear crafty, you think like oh, I throw like 85. And oh, Chris Bass is crafty. He's crafty. They they Freed's have good. Yeah, they're both very very solid pitchers. Freed left hand side, obviously. He's also given the Mets a lot of trouble in the past. He's just he's just really really good. Max Freed was always a guy who he got to the majors because of an incredible curveball that just carried him through the minor leagues. He had a mid fastball and a slider that he'd always been developing. He's got a couple ticks on the fastball this year. The slider's become a really fantastic whiff pitch for him. A pitch that is almost as good as his curveball at this point, which is crazy to say. Coming from the three years he's been in the league, he's fantastic. It's going to be tough to get to him. Going to be tough, especially with we got a good chunk of lefties in our lineup as well. well JD's going to get an appearance. Game two, which is technically game two and three, right? Because of the double header. We will be there with the seven line. So if you see us at the stadium, come say what's up to the boys. We'll be hanging out, having a good time. Carrasco versus Morton in game one. And then David Peterson coming back up. Along that's not Ka- official, but that's what I'm assuming, just oh. based on his rest. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be him. He got crushed in AAA last week, too. That's fine. He pitched Doesn't well matter. in the majors. Pitched well in the majors. He'll be Work- in City Field. He's working on stuff. He's working on stuff. Working on stuff. Working on things. Going up against Kyle Wright, who had always had hype, never showed it, and he's really good now. I never quit. You never quit on I Kyle never Wright. never quit on Kyle Wright. He, Kyle Wright was going to be my brave to watch in this series because he's blossoming before our very eyes. Someone who's once top five pick, top ten pick in the draft. He was Vandy. very much a first round pick. He was a very solid prospect. He came critically acclaimed to Atlanta. It took a very long time to become good, but he's always had a fantastic curveball. Now he's just throwing it significantly more, and the pitch is downright disgusting. Very excited to be able to watch him live, but... Not excited to watch the Mets hitters try to hit him live. Yeah, uh, he's, he's <laughs> looking pretty nasty. And then game four, the final game of the series, Tyler McGill versus Ian Anderson, which I'm looking at the matchups now. Bass and Freed, relatively, kind of, if you're going like, to compare them, they're yeah. relatively similar. Carrasco and Morton, the two elder statesmen of these yeah. you know, rotations, both kind of can either be hit or miss, it seems like right now. Yeah, Morton's had a, uh, really been struggling this year. If you're playing fancy, I'd still call him a buy low because... His velocity has come back to normal. It's just kind of not hitting his spots early in the year. Old guy. Might just take it a couple more weeks to shake out those spring cobwebs. Might need some nice weather. Actually, Atlanta's always nice weather. That doesn't yeah, make any sense at all. Short spring training. Yeah. Old, old guy. Man. You got to shake off the rust a little bit. For sure. He's still a very good pitcher. I'm still not excited to face him. And then our younger guys like David Peterson, who we had higher hopes for. First round pick as well. Yeah. Kyle Wright, first round pick. And then Tyler McGill and Ian Anderson. Both big right-handed pitchers who have yeah. been pretty good at times. Yeah. So it's going to be a big 
big series. It's going to be an important one. All the series are. It'd be really, really nice to really just stick it to the Braves because I've I've been saying it. I feel like since I've ever started talking about baseball, got to be at Atlanta. Gotta They've be always Atlanta. been a thorn in our side. They've always been good. I'll never forget like the first, what, like 14 or not 14, 10 years of our lives. They won the division Every along with the year. years before that. So this is a team that I've learned to hate very much so. Oh, yeah. They, and I want to bury them. When I was a child, before all that Philly stuff happened, they were the team I definitely hated the most. Like, like they were that team. It's just it, they beat us every time. They had yeah. such a Chipper Jones and um, Andrew Jones and I don't know, even some pesky Larry, Larry Jones. Larry Jones. So yeah, my bad. Larry Jones. Larry Jones. Uh, even some pesky players that I'll throw out some names for you. Rafael Fercal. Well, remember remember our guy last year that guy was really pissed, Mr. Inciarte. Oh God. Oh, yeah. Ender Inciarte. He's not there anymore, right? No, nah, he's, he's probably. I don't know what he's doing. All right, good. Got good riddance, Ender yeah. Inciarte. How about Marcus Giles? That's another. It's another random oh. Braves player who really wasn't that good, but That's killed the gross. Mets. And then even a guy who played for the Mets but killed us when he wasn't. Kelly Johnson. I mean, nice. the Braves have been a thorn in our side forever. The Mets. This is a different team than we've seen in previous years. This team is legitimately good. This mm-hmm. is legitimately one of the better teams in all of baseball. Yeah, and we're playing really good baseball too, while the Braves are not. Let's go ahead, come out this series, and bury the Braves. You have a chance to really start to separate yourself here if you make some noise. For sure, and the Braves are a team similar to the Phillies where their bullpen's just really not that good. So the way that we're going to be able to get to them in this series is just these first two games. you got to get free and Charlie Moore and out of the game early. you got to see a lot of pitches. you got to put guys on base. you got to make those guys get stressed early in the game. Get to this Braves bullpen because by the third and fourth games, We'll be facing, I don't even know who, in the back of that pen. Guys who are not that good. Mark Cannon's going to hit a home run on Monday night. You heard it here. Okay, I'm sure. making a call. I'm making a call. I almost hit it with Eduardo Escobar. You did. You got I'm close calling Cannon's first home run as a New York Met is going to come He's off of Max Fried. No, no home runs yet. He just got his first extra base hit, actually, against the Phillies when he got that double that hit off the left field thing. This is what we're talking about, but the variance of the Mets offense. Mark Cannon hit, was hitting like 500 up until last <laughs> weekend, and he had no extra base hits. That shouldn't even be possible. Marky Cheerios, baby. He's Marky reliable. Cheerios. He's there for you. He's, not, he's got no spice. Whole grain Mark. But he's solid. Whole grain Mark. He's solid. We got all the nicknames here. Drew Chains, Eddie Escobombs. Drew, Drew Chains could stick. King Louie's pretty good. Too. King Louie's good. I work. As we're getting with this podcast game, we're starting to get clever with these nicknames. You guys have heard enough already, though. That's pretty much all we got, right, for our preview and the Philly series. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Make sure you're dropping James a follow on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range. Oh, can I say? Oh, go I for it. I know this in the wild for the first time this weekend. Shout out those guys in Williamsburg, I think at the bar Clinton Hill on Metropolitan, right by the Beatnik. That was crazy stuff. And you, you guys were shocked out of your minds. I pulled a sticker out of my, <laughs> out of my flannel pocket. That was fun. If you guys know anything, me, I might not have a sticker on me james will always, always have a sticker on you so I don't if you, leave my house without stickers if you ever see us just ask say hey yeah. what's up you guys got a sticker we will happily give you one. Oh, yeah one of the messed up stickers but yeah follow james on twitter at jeter had no range follow me at giraffe mark with a c follow the podcast on twitter at messed up instagram at messed up youtube channel messed up podcast if you want the video version of everything you just listened to or maybe you didn't listen to anything or maybe you want to watch the next one on youtube there's your way to do or it or maybe you want to listen to it and then watch it later that, I wouldn't be that, opposed to that either. That, those, those are the best fans. Those are my favorite fans, actually. That's what, I, that's what I would say. You guys are my favorites. But that is the perfect way to wrap it up here, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll catch you on the next episode after this Brave series of the Messed Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time. <laughs>